0: Recorded live at Talks and Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Claire Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go!
1: From the Talks and Tasting Studio, I'm Bull Hagan I'm Berg. I'm
2: Bert. I'm Vicker.
1: And uh, Peter's here. Hey Pete. Hey Pete. Uh, and welcome to the show. The show that... What does it
2: do, Bert? What is the, it? the show that... Uh, informs you about what is behind the collar uh someone was
1: asking uh, uh the other i think it was that our associate producer a podcast mom was a, asked us an email what's up with bert what's up with bert
2: <laughs> basically it was a hilarious email so like i liked it so what's up with, what's this email i have not seen this email i don't know it's, it's, it's an email, is
1: it, a with, Wait. is it
2: a sin to have Bert on now? Is it a sin to have on now? Probably. Okay, all right, let's see here. What is this? What's up with Bert? Yeah, Hannah sent us a message. Uh, she says, as long as you're addressing all my other questions slash topics slash concerns, what's the deal with Bert? Is he a new co-host? Is he a permanent guest? Is this like, whose line is it anyway, where Pastor Bullhagen is Drew Carey and everyone else is optional? I feel like he needs a formal welcome or title or something,
3: especially now that he has his own segment.
1: Well, the way I would, uh, way I would describe uh, Bert in this podcast is um, much like the way you,
2: Hannah, became a part of our show. <laughs> I, I just got amalgamated. It was sort of like uh, the Borg uh, coming in and saying, you will be assimilated. I get these texts saying, you have to come. Why aren't you here? What's wrong? <laughs> Are you Okay. <laughs> I'm like, I have to drive an hour and a half to get here, guys. But, yeah, I I, I like it. I like coming. The podcast is great. We had you come.
1: (laughs) And then after we recorded, you're like, all right, I'll be back next time. Yeah, I know. Okay.
2: I know, yeah.
3: (laughs) Yep. You
2: You asked. Come (laughs) on, you asked.
3: We are just that inclusive here at Clerical Errors.
2: Yeah, well, I'm I'm happy to be here. It's it's good, you know. So I mean, whatever you want to call me, I really don't care. I I just I'm glad to you know help out my my, my uh, brother pastors and the vicar and Peter and do whatever I can. Um, I, I'm kind of just color commentary, I guess. You know, sort of like that guy in the news that says, "Yeah, that's interesting. Let me talk about this now," and then you know, says whatever he wants to say until he gets fired. So you know, you're not paying me anything, so it, it's never going to stop. Can't turn this off. Well, well, to me, it just goes to show the kind of environment we're
1: trying to put together on the podcast, right?
2: Sure. Fun. That's what you want to say. Yeah, it's fun. A community atmosphere where people can kind of join along, and then, well, you joined along. I've been accused of a lot of things. Fun is not necessarily one of them, but I will try. I will try to be fun.
1: (laughs) Well, don't worry. Peter, our producer, will make sure you sound fun. That's that's right. That's right. Peter
2: works his magic.
1: (laughs) So, uh, Vicar... Um, as I am tasting my uh, Aqua Pure Aqua um, Spring Water, what is the the text? What are we preaching on? Well,
4: the text for Septuagesima would be Matthew twenty one through sixteen. The story. What of, does
1: that mean, Septuagesima?
4: Uh, you're going to ask me a Latin question, and I'm I'm not a good Latin person. I know I know it's I know it has to do with the number seventy. I just can't remember if we're counting down to the start of Holy Week I know. or the end of Holy Week. So I know. Yeah, t-
2: tag in please. I think it's about about like it's like about 70 days till Easter. That's mm-hmm. pretty much what septuagesima means. And the same thing with sexagesima and quinquagesima. When you get to sexagesima, you just have to say it and people are like, "Huh? What did you say?" You know, but it's okay. And if you need to know why that is, then talk to somebody else. Berg? <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: Sorry, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> right, right.
1: <laughs> That's my job. <laughs>
0: uh
1: so so can you, it's kind of a lengthy text so can you kind of just give us a little bit of a summary of it
4: yeah it's it's one of it's one of the i'm not sure if i should call it a parable it's it starts you know for the kingdom of heaven is like so it's one of these stories jesus is telling comparing god's kingdom with something earthly and you know he says it's the, it's like a a man who owns a vineyard and he goes and hires out day laborers he starts in the morning and gets a few shows up around noon gets a few more shows up there's about an hour worth of daylight left and gets a few more. And then at the end of the day starts giving out paychecks, starts with the people who showed up last, gives them a full day's wage and works his way to the guys who were hired first. And he still gives them the exact same pay. And those guys hired first are a little upset because we worked longer. Shouldn't we get more? But the point being it's his money. He can do with it as he pleases. So regardless of when they started working, they get the same. And the comparison is with our faith.
1: Right. Well, the the uh, workers would have a valid point if, using the, the idea of the kingdom of heaven, if it was earned. If the kingdom is given by grace, then it doesn't hold water.
3: perk, have you written for your sermon for this? No, I'm actually going to preach on the Old Testament text. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, we can which we can talk about a little bit later. But yeah, um, this parable shows that uh, grace is distributed equally to everyone, regardless of how much or how little they've worked in the kingdom of God.
2: I mean, what do you think, Bert? Yeah, certainly about grace. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting because the first group, they actually agree for a denarius. But and, then after that, after that, every, every other time he goes to the marketplace... He just says, "I'm going to give you what's right," or "You go work in the vineyard too," you know. Mm-hmm. And and it's not uh, there's no price agreed on, but he just does whatever he wants at the end of the day with what's his. And I, I think that's the point, you know this this is uh, this is God's thing, uh, this this working salvation for us. It's not our thing that we earn or anything that we're able to,
3: you know. So who would be those people that he made an agreement with in the beginning?
2: Oh, I know you're going to ask that because question. Because
3: isn't it, isn't it like? Uh, a symphony yeah or, uh, yeah, yeah the where they actually agree the symfone- together oh
2: actually right. you know yeah it's, it's like it's like uh, uh they got in tune with one another <laughs> right you know uh, about what uh, they were going to get out of this work you know I, I don't know you know that's a good question uh you know, you, you might you might think well okay that was the uh, the people of israel uh, the uh, the jews perhaps uh, but I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure about that either. I think perhaps we're just talking about people that that want recognition for doing what they do. And he's like, all right, well, whatever. I mean, I'm gonna give you I, And it
1: you does know. it does say something I believe about uh, the Christian life in this is is the fact that it's actually in the gospel, you learn that to do the Lord's work is a good thing, not a bad thing. Right.
3: Well, and I just looked at the context, and this takes place right after Peter says to Jesus, Look, Lord, we've lo- we've left everything. Mm-hmm. What are we going to gain? And <laughs> Jesus gives him this magnificent promise that anyone who has um, given up um, mother and father and brothers and sisters and children and wife and lands— For my sake and for the sake of the gospel, he will receive a hundredfold uh, and eternal life, Hmm. right? Um, So after this magnificent promise, it seems, coming to your point, Mm -hmm. right, that this probably isn't talking about the Jews, but this is a way to kind of keep the apostles who've been promised these extraordinary things in the life to come from becoming too presumptuous, too overinflated in you know, in this promise.
2: Right, so. because, you know, I mean, we, we all have the same salvation. I think this is something that Luther picks up on in his sermon in this on this text. Mm-hmm. You know, we all have the same salvation, we all have the same baptism, we all have the same, um, you know, gift in the Lord's Supper, uh, we all hear the same word, uh, and, uh, and there's a remarkable um, egalitarianism, if I could use that word, in the kingdom of God. Uh, under this grace, and I think that's important to see that you know we all have the same word, we all have the same baptism. There's no way that my baptism could be better than my daughter's baptism. There's no way that um, uh, you know the word that I hear is worse than the word that my wife hears. You know, it's it's the same thing. It's the same salvation, and God gives it to us all by grace without any strings attached. Uh, and uh, you notice too that the blessing comes from being in the vineyard you know the blessing comes from being in the vineyard when when the the guy says to the other guy at the end of the parable take what is yours and go it's not necessarily a good thing
3: Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) you know kind of like when jesus calls people friend yeah
3: yeah that's never a good thing
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah so i don't know a lot lot of good stuff there It, it does remind me a little bit of
1: what you just said um I think I tried, because some of you are too young, maybe, but the purpose-driven life when that came out. Oh, yeah, I I remember that. And uh, I think part of that was, one of the purposes, it was really focused in and a part of it on the the levels of heaven Mm. and how that helps drive you so that you could have, you know.
3: An extra star in your crown or whatever. The heavenly Bentley. Right. (laughs) Right. Well, and, I mean, the thing is, is that, at least our Lutheran fathers did, they taught, too, that there there are degrees of glory. So, for example, in Daniel, uh, it says at the end of Daniel that those who teach others righteousness shall shine like the stars in the firmament, right? The apostles are given a very specific promise that they shall sit on thrones, 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Mm -hmm. That while um, the essence of salvation is egalitarian, that there is no difference, between Jew and Greek, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, there are degrees of glory given by God, and he gives them at his pleasure, mm-hmm. But, right? but like the, the ten talents, the five talents, the one talent. But, but
1: the difference is, though, if you go into this thing thinking, I'm doing this so that I can have great glory in heaven.
3: You're, you've already missed the point. Right.
1: So All those people who you just mentioned, they were not seeking their own... Oh, if I, you know, now that I'm doing this, I get a special recognition in the kingdom of heaven. No, they're thinking those people need to hear God God's word. I'm willing to
3: suffer for what for well, the kingdom of heaven. What is the right answer to give when you
2: have done all these things? And perhaps I can help with this because I don't know if we're necessarily talking about uh, the um, the gifts that are going to be given in heaven when we're in this parable here i don't think that's exactly what we're focusing on no this is particularly about this is particular about, is about, essence about essence salvation salvation that we all possess the same gifts that god gives and it's it's they're possessed by faith that's how it is you know and and but just because rick warren right is
3: a legalist doesn't mean that he was wrong in teaching that there are degrees of glory because there are mm-hmm. the bible actually teaches that and we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater either right so Right. Because, I mean, I'm not going to be at the same level as an apostle. I mean, heck, I'll be happy just to get in the door. Right. You'll be you shining your shoes. That's all right. I'll be content to be a street <laughs> sweeper. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, because they do. Like, the, the apostles and many other saints have sacrificed way more than I have. And uh, um, they will be higher in the kingdom of heaven. And I'm okay with that. No, because no. all of that is given by God's grace, because none of us actually deserve any of it anyway.
1: Don't worry, Berg. I'll still wave and say hi to you. Well, that's good. Th- well, thank you.
2: As you drive by on your heavenly Bentley. Now, hey, now we got to go to that other thing that that, uh, that uh, <laughs> Hannah asked, right? Uh, should we go to that now? Or are we? Maybe yeah. not. Because you talked can... about waving hi. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking, oh, yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a segue. Sure. I picked up on a segue that wasn't a segue. Wow. Okay. All right. You're giving us way too much credit, man. <laughs> All right. So, Peter,
3: let's uh, let's now deal with the question that uh, Hannah. which kind of a with... long
1: time in, in getting to this question. When was this email sent? Yeah, we received this email at, on December 1st. <laughs> Whoops. We're getting to uh, it, Hannah. Timely fact. It's currently
2: the 27th of January as we record this. So, She says, is it a sin to smile and wave at the neighborhood's gay dads taking their infant daughter for a walk? sincerely a biological mother <laughs> well the, uh, i love how she signs it <laughs> yep
1: <laughs> yeah well i think there's a lot of unknowns in here right oh, go on um <laughs> like how big is your smile
2: <laughs> oh my goodness no. you're, you're going to judge <laughs> sin by how big a smile is <laughs> That's crazy talk.
4: W- what type of wave? wave. What kind what of wave? What type of wave? Yeah. Oh my goodness.
2: Now don't do that either. Come on. So what what wave would be more appropriate? Like like a like a finger wave.
0: Hey. <laughs>
1: yeah, I think. <laughs> or maybe like the princess wave. It's like <laughs> that.
2: Be might be more appropriate. <laughs> Bert, save us. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, yeah, the, the Queen's wave, right, right, that's what Peter's doing on the screen <laughs> right Portrayal now, shorts. when we're, you know, because because that, that, that wave is the one where basically you don't get tired of waving because you have to wave for so long. Uh, anyway, no, I don't know. Uh, so here's the thing, all right, uh, sins are a thought, word, and deed, sins are against the Ten Commandments, um... You know, there's the the wonderful Latin phrase "non passe non peccare." <laughs> you could talk about it's impossible not to sin. You know what though? I mean, you're you're not you're not saying that you agree with uh, their moral decisions uh, that they've made in their life, uh, and uh, you should be welcoming to all people. Uh, by being welcoming, it doesn't mean that you. Uh, say, I affirm your um, moral decisions, or I I affirm your theology. I mean, I'm sure that there's a theology behind that somewhere. Everybody's got a theology, folks. That's just how it is. Uh, But, you know, when you wave at somebody, you are being friendly, and uh, that's not a bad thing. Um, So no, I would say, no, it's not a sin to wave at your gay neighbor. Now, it is a sin to say, I am not going to tell you that uh, you're wrong. It is a sin to say, you know, that uh, you're good, don't worry, you know, you'll be all right. Uh, but, you know, we, we should be clear uh, as as we have our, you know, talking with other people uh, about, uh, about you know, all these things. We should confess and uh, speak, you know, clearly about these things. So, no, not a sin, but I think you should speak the Word of God.
1: Yeah. If it were a sin, just think of
2: how uh, we would never wave at anybody. Right, because you don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, I'm waving at you guys right now, right? <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> no. You know, we we don't know. See, if it's a sin to wave at anybody who's a sinner, then nobody should wave at anybody. That's how it is,
1: you know. So so the wave so we've decided that the waving's okay. What about the smile? You haven't answered that.
2: Yeah, the smile's okay. The smile and the wave go together. Yeah. It's so, a smiley okay. wave. All right. So, we got. You can wave, but you have to have like a sneer on your mate. Yeah. At the same time. <laughs> sneer? Okay. Maybe, maybe yeah. just to judge the I thought
3: the, I thought the <laughs> waving was like the hand smile. The hand smile. Yeah. Okay. So, how about this? Uh,
1: how about you can wave, you can smile. I wouldn't wink. Would you guys wink?
2: <laughs> Depends on the circumstance. Okay. Yeah. All right. Possible like wink? wink is like, yeah,
4: I know what's up. Yeah. <laughs> wink. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think so. Yeah, no way. I, I no, way. Help, no way. Okay, we, 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 all right. We, we,
1: we've decided. You can smile. You can wave.
2: Hannah, don't wink. Smile, wave, and invite them in for a discussion on Romans chapter one. That's what I would do. I would try anyway. I don't know. You know. Stand if on I was your bored. porch and sing a hymn at them. Yeah, sure. I'm okay with that. You know, I mean, we we, we got to get over this stuff. You know, really. I mean. Berg, what, what hymn would you sing? <laughs> uh, probably a marriage one.
1: Okay,
3: there you go. <laughs> yeah, you
2: they know. might take that the wrong way, but I understand what you're saying.
3: You know, yeah. the soul that seeks to marry should begin with earnest prayer um, would be a great one. Mm. Like from Walter's hymnal. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, oh, bless the house would be, mm-hmm. would be a good one. Um,
2: the day is surely drawing near.
3: Y- yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you know, That'd be a good one, too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Day of wrath, oh, day of mourning. hmm Yeah, he that one, too. the prophet's warning. Heaven and earth in ashes burning. Yeah. I mean, this is, I I
2: mean,
3: mean, it is... Well, because they're... I mean, they are in danger. Yeah. You know? They're in real... Like, they're in greater danger than any sort of physical calamity might bring upon them.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So,
1: do you think we answer that question? I think,
4: I
2: think so.
1: Vicar, you've been oddly quiet.
4: Yeah. So you, I felt, <laughs> I felt say- that I felt that was the safest option for this. <laughs> <laughs> You're just gonna say yeah, yeah, He saw that he's still yeah, th- 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 at so. a stage where you know,
1: I, you, gentlemen, you know, I have to get a call a year. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't quite want to stick my neck out on this one. No, I. I was thinking it's like, does this fall under Ro- like Romans twelve twenty? You know the the showing kindness and you heap burning coals on their head, sort of stuff.
3: It it may right. Um, I was I was also thinking of like First Corinthians, what five or six. Um, it really kind of depends too if they claim to be Christians. Yeah. Because that actually that that yeah. actually changes the tenor of the conversation too. Yeah. Uh, because if they're outsiders, you know, if they're unbelievers, we can't go out of the world. Otherwise, yeah, we wouldn't be able to wave or do business with anybody. Then you could
1: actually cut their ears off from hearing, like if, if, if you refuse to wave and refuse to smile, uh, why on earth would if you when you have that discussion that Bert talked about earlier, why on earth would they listen to you in the first place mm-hmm. if you've never shown kindness or caring or compassion to them now along it, the way?
3: Now, if they do claim to be Christians, that's a whole different
2: situation. So. Yeah, I you know I, it's kind of interesting that she brings this up because I've had this kind of a talk with somebody once. Uh, I was I was actually on vacation, staying in a hotel, and we were in the uh, in the lobby, and I was painting my miniature soldiers because I bring them along sometimes when I'm on vacation. I was just doing that, and uh, this, yes, this could do. be this yeah. could be a birds world thing, right? You know, um, right? So, but but then you know uh, it was like uh, eleven o'clock at night, and there was this guy that wandered through the lobby, and he sat sat down and started talking to me, and I was like, oh okay, you know, and we started talking about stuff, and. And uh, throughout the conversation, you know, I told him who I was and what I was doing, and uh, um, told him I was a pastor and stuff like that. And he said, "Oh, yeah, pastors, you guys get the toughest job sometimes." I said, "Yeah, yeah it's kind of rough sometimes, especially to tell people, you know, um, you know that uh, what they're doing is wrong and that they need to repent and believe the gospel <laughs> and <laughs> things like that." And um, and uh, then then he said, "Oh, you mean like like homosexuality?" I was like, y- "Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one of the things I have to talk about. According to all sorts of sexual issues as well, but." And uh, and he said, "Well, I'm a gay person." And I said, "Oh, okay, you know." So uh, and and uh, turns out he wasn't a Christian, and so I, what I did is I I, I kind of pointed him the direction of um, reading Matthew's Gospel and talking about Jesus, and then uh, and then uh, told him about the Apostles' Creed and and uh, tried to witness in that way, and it was an interesting conversation. Uh, and then uh, then I went to bed and held on to my wife. <laughs> yep. Thanks be to God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, that's how all evangelism should really be.
3: Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, yep. it should be like late night hotel lobby conversations while painting mini- miniatures. Or at the bar, yep. you know? Yep. A- yeah. At the bar where you're sitting having a drink and you meet a... You know who's the best at this? Yeah, I know. Who's the best at this? Andrew Preuss. Yeah, he Andrew is. Andrew Preuss is the best. He yeah. honestly is the Pastor best at Preuss. this. Yeah. Um, he'll just walk up and I, it's just very natural. I mean, it's, it's amazing. The guy so. can talk
2: to anybody about Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, it really, just doesn't matter, and he's bold. And of course, you know, I mean, I've talked with him about this before. He says that he's, he's, you know, fearful of doing it as well. But he just says, you know, I just have to confess, and and that that's kind of what I what I would tell uh, Hannah there too. You know, we're Christians. That's what we do. We confess. We yep. we, we, we speak God's word, and uh, that's uh, that's important. Uh, I mean, if you're not going to speak God's word with your family, you know, you, can, you know, uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, speak God's word. Good.
1: Uh, let us segue to a new another segment. So uh, I've been inspired. You know I'm back to clanging and banging rather than clinking and dinking.
3: Well, good. I'm glad you've got that muscle mass back. And uh,
1: in fact, I'm back into leg day. Oh boy. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm I'm all in. And so, guess what it encouraged me to do?
3: Are we talking about another bench press parable?
1: Yes. I put oh, together man. a bench press parable. I think we are ready to go.
2: Peter, play the intro! Welcome
0: to another installment of Bench Press Parables, where we give you a swole story with a heavenly meaning. Winstraw, Diana Ball. Nandrolone, Anvar, Androl50, PrimaBalone. What are they? Steroids. Because of these performance-enhancing concoctions, a question that often rolls around inside a meatball's head is this. Is that dude natty or not? Natty, natural, no roids, no gear, no juice. Natty means you're hitting the freak factory loaded up with protein shakes and whatever genetics your sweet mama gave you. Not means your traps are courtesy of pharmaceuticals and your skin has been poked by more needles than a church quilt. <laughs> if you have gained 200 pounds on the bench and four hat sizes, you are not Natty, bro. If you won the Home Run Derby in the 1990s, you are not natty, bro. If the veins in your deltoids pop more than a pot of Orville Renbacher over a pile of molten lava, you are not natty, bro. If you put on 50 pounds of muscle in three months eating chicken, broccoli, and rice, you are not natty, bro. If you are an action film star known by one name, like Arnold, or Sly, or
2: The Rock,
0: you are not Natty, bro. (laughs) Natty or not, not only does this question float around your local muscle barn, it also has been floated around churches like shock dust (laughs) at a deadlift (laughs) convention. Saving Faith, is it Natty or not? Is it born out of our own free will? Does it arrive from a spark inside of natural man? Is natural man able to know God, and love God, and please the true God? When it comes to saving faith, you are not maddie, bro. Ephesians 2.3, we are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Romans 8, 7, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God's law. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. 1 Corinthians twelve three. no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2, 1, you were dead in your trespasses in sin. It is the Holy Spirit who calls you by the gospel, enlightens you with his gifts, and sanctifies you and keeps you in the one true faith. You are not men. You are born again by water and the spirit. You are a new creation, bro. In fact, Jesus said you receive the kingdom of heaven just like a baby. Volcano. This has been Bench Press Parables, signing off. May your gains in the gym be natty, and your old Adam be crushed.
2: Wow. (laughs) That's the last time. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I didn't know what I was going to get into when I said Peter play the intro that was pretty cool <laughs> now we're supposed to talk about it right yeah, yeah. I, suppose. Oh, yeah, no. I think it's pretty cool I, I, uh, I appreciated the uh, the parable I could, I, could, I could get the parable yeah Natty or not right yeah yeah not Natty yeah hmm. yeah
3: I, I I don't know what to say I mean it was good <laughs> I saw you dancing
1: along to it, Pete. <laughs> yeah, you got good music for that one. So, so yeah, it's just a. I thought it would be an interesting way. You know, I always try and see what happens in the gym. Yeah. That. That comes across be- right. Because the thing is, is uh, when people take steroids, they what they do is they try and take just enough that they they look like. It might be natural, like, oh, this is all me. Look at what I've done, mm-hmm. you know? Mm. I've been working hard. I've been eating right, and now I'm, I look like this. So so they want to look like it's all natural. It was all from them when they're taking steroids. And I think the same thing happens when people, even going back to the parable, right? When people say, well, yeah, I kind of, I accepted Jesus, that there was something innate in them that that uh, which made them to have faith some goodness or some spark when the Bible is clear. No, it's only by the, the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I try to do. Spirit it... steroids. <laughs> yeah, in a sense, we're all on steroids, right?
2: You could say that in a sense, I, I suppose. I Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think I'm ever going to be compared anymore, ever, ever again, to a, uh, uh, a ball player in the 90s that uh, hit the home run derby. Yeah. <laughs>
3: that's just mine well, you started happen, but... you started mentioning all the action stars from the 80s and it's like yeah well like you look at uh um Rambo from first blood <laughs> right and how and it's like yeah that isn't uh or rocky right right like, too, like uh I think it's the third one where I mean he's like he's swole, and it's
1: or I think I, I got some of that from a, like a Mark Wahlberg quote where he he got like super jacked right and and he said yeah i worked out for 3 months really hard and i ate a lot of chicken and broccoli <laughs> <laughs> and
3: yeah
1: you know you if you, you you can't physically work out that much except to gain muscle because your your body doesn't recover unless you have nat- uh
3: more than natural levels of certain hormones yeah, and you can't just eat chicken cuz that i mean you need a lot of, you need that fat right Q to kind of you know so
2: yeah no it's that's pretty cool. I, 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 I'm still trying to run my mind through the parable part of it and, and thinking about it. And, you know, it, it's it's true. It's so true. that the, the other thing, though, is that is that, you know, um, we're talking about the invisible things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about faith and God's gifts uh, to us, things that we can't perceive aside from uh, God revealing it to us in his word. And and so I was thinking about that a little bit. I was thinking, that part doesn't quite fit. But I'm not trying to pick it apart. I'm trying to say, you know, it's, it's good if we just have this one filter on there that says, hey, you know, it's not like you can look at somebody and say, oh, he's an awesome Christian, look at that. Yeah, God the Holy Spirit must have really jacked that guy up. Right. You know, but yeah. Do people actually do that in gyms? So they look at each other and like uh, say, uh, oh man, I wonder if that guy's... It- not, not at the gym in Hampton. Oh, Okay, good, good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. But there are like in uh, cities, bigger cities. I've been to gyms like on vacation or something. Where mm-hmm.
3: what was that uh, New Jersey one? Don't they always like talk about that? There was this New Jersey show with Snooki. Oh, and the guy, uh, Jersey Shore. Yeah, where they were always like looking at each other and. Yeah. No, and being... it's a thing. It's and w- and actually, there,
1: there is actually – no, I'm going to address this too because this is another tie-in. Okay? Good. Excellent. All right. So there's a lot of – especially young people who watch a lot of YouTube videos of guys how to work oh, out man. and how to get strong. Yeah. And, and what they do is they create a, a body image that is impossible to really get without steroids. But mm-hmm. they insinuate that they're all doing it naturally. And what that does is it places the people in that situation – in a way that really ultimate despair, because they can't get to where they want to go. Right. And they're following everything these people are saying. And that, that is, becomes then a great, to me, in the same way when you talk about Christianity and, and faith, the, and the, the preaching of law, the, you know, how being held to a certain standard that people
3: will never, ever... right. And then they point to because your own even, strength. Because even your own if it power. wasn't, uh even if it wasn't with the steroids, a lot of these YouTube people, I mean, they probably work out eighteen hours a day, you know, and have just this crazy lifestyle like the Olympiads do, mm-hmm. you know? Um to get to where, you know, Phelps was. I mean, like you look at what his schedule was and how many calories he mm-hmm. ate a day and how much he swam every single day, um, it just it's not possible for the for the ordinary person. You know that's why when Jesus says uh, that the rich, like them getting into heaven, is like uh, a camel going through a needle. The disciples are flabbergasted because it's like, well, if anyone can make it, it's, it's got to be the rich because yeah. they got the time to study the Bible, they've got the means uh, for charity, they got all this kind of stuff. Um, but but in many
1: evangelical churches, there are, and I I experienced when I was in high school. I knew a lot of people who were in this boat. Who are driven to despair because they're always pointed back to themselves and other people are kind of lifted up as prime examples mm-hmm. and all it did was make people feel horrible about themselves without actually giving them hope because right. the answer was
3: in in their natural you know, person with man this is impossible with god all things are possible
2: right and this really uh, plays into you know where we look for our certainty right you know um if we were to gaze at our own faith and look at that and try to figure out, you know, whether or not we believed or how strong our faith is or, um, you know, anything like that, we're, we're always going to be either driven to hypocrisy or despair, and oftentimes both, right? You know, the hypocrite says, oh, yeah, look at my faith. I'm so strong. Look at that. But secretly they're saying, ah, where is it? I can't find it. You know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, that, that's what's going on. I don't look and like Arnold. Right, I don't look like Arnold. I don't even, I don't even match up, you know. Uh, but then, uh, then, g- what uh, what Jesus does? Uh, this was uh, Transfiguration Sunday last Sunday. I made this point in the sermon last Sunday. Um, I, I basically said that uh, uh, you know what Jesus does is he business to look to Him alone. You know, mm-hmm. Jesus only. When they, when the disciples lifted up their eyes, they saw Jesus only, and that's how Jesus wants to be in our vision as well—the vision of our faith, not looking at ourselves, but looking to Him. Did you pull that from Chartow's sermon? Yes, I did. Of course, yeah. I did. Yes, you know, <laughs> um, because you know, I read that chapter of, uh, of Hammer uh, of God. Hammer of God. Yeah, such a great book. Have you read the uh, Have you read the actual sermon from Chartow? Uh No, I have not. I have not. I should do that because I'm sure that's really great. Garrett quotes the best parts. Okay. Actually, okay. So. All right. Well. That's so where
3: good. could we
1: find this sermon? I got no idea.
3: I mean, I bought a book of his sermons like off the internet like ten years ago.
1: Han- uh, Hannah, best... if you if you can find this sermon, Hannah, could you put it on our Facebook page?
2: <laughs> yeah, and be- best just to just to put the hammer of God up there and have him read that book because that book is such a good book. And the new version with the extra chapters at the end yeah. is even better. Uh, we got over our our uh, German phobia kind of thing at some point in the nineteen nineties, late nineteen nineties, when that extra one came out. So. Check that out. It's really awesome.
1: All right. That brings us to what it is, what it ain't, and what it could be. Play the intro, Peter.
2: <laughs> Peter, play <laughs> the intro. One more time with feeling. <laughs> Peter, uh, play the intro.
0: <laughs> what is it? Who knows? We do. It's time for what it is, what it ain't, what it could be. All right,
1: so as we uh, talk about, um, so far we've been through oratio, Mm -hmm. meditatio, and tentatio. Anybody would like to summarize the first two? Vicar, do you want to
4: summarize the first two? Yeah, uh, oratio being prayer. That's where the Christian starts his study. He prays. And meditatio, meditation. Not the emptying of our mind, but rather reading the word of God hearing the Word of God aloud and, you know, kind of just, you know, mentally chewing on it.
1: Right. And and uh, in the, so the difference is, you'll one thing you'll find in this distinction of how, what makes a good theologian, really, for every Christian, um, is uh, the Word of God is central to all of those things. And it is, um, I would say, it would fly in the face of what we've, just like we talk about the natural man, it's a fighting of that natural man with the word of God. And that I think that's kind of where the, the tentatio comes from a little bit. And so when we uh, talk about tentatio, there is a German word, uh, Anfechtung. Did I pronounce that right?
2: Close enough. Anfechtung. Unge. Unge. Yeah. Unge. Hmm.
1: All right. So what it is.
2: What it is?
1: Well, it is uh, temptation, and it is experience. Not the now. Whenever you're with the pastors and you talk about experience, what happens?
3: Ooh, <laughs> triggered.
1: Right? Why are you triggered?
3: Because oftentimes when people talk about experience, um, they're talking about it in a way to kind of justify their own um, their own faith, and so. Um, a lot of the times, I mean, I've heard it, you know, well, I just had this God feeling. Or, right. um, I knew I had to sell my house and move in with my boyfriend because, you know, the house sold quickly. So, you know, God obviously wanted me to do it. Or, um, another one that I heard is, you know, her dad, uh, told her to go out and close the, uh, grain bin, uh, in a storm, you know, while he was doing some other things and, uh, this little mouse ran across the the yard, and so she took that as a sign from God that she was supposed to do that rather than actually, you know, looking at the Fourth Commandment. So experience uh, oftentimes is used by Christians uh, for not cool things, where it's actually against God's commandments. But, but what does Luther mean by experience?
1: What he means is more so that the experience of us being assimilated into the Word of God. Mm-hmm. that the Word of God is really what what makes us. And so you place everything that you see and do and go through or suffer with or to be tempted with into the context of God's Word that it informs your experience. So the starting place is a little different. The starting place isn't, oh, I'm going to read into the experiences Rather, I am going to take the experiences and the things that I go to and place them in the context of God's Word. So, the examples that you gave, you oh, I'm attempted to uh, disobey the fourth commandment. You look at that situation and that experience, and then you place it, well, God's Word says, honor your father and mother. So more so, what it does is it uses God's Word to place everything experienced into that context, into that frame of thought, rather than the other way around. The whole thing to me is almost like, um, with all three of them, whether it's uh, in all these, whether it's prayer or meditation, and then this uh, tentatio affectum, uh, temptation experience, suffering, all those, all treats us in a way that we're kind of an empty vessel for the Word of God. And that is what Rather than than we are brilliant people, we've got it all figured out, and we're going to spice it up with God's word. We're going to flavor it. It's it's more of of uh, of um, of that. So when we when we what it is when we look at this, um, uh, we also look then as temptation, kind of as a barometer, I would say, meaning a testing. When you think of and this is more so, I think, with Luther more than just an individual thing. He would view this more as um, a struggle with the Word of God with those outside of it. And if we think about uh, all all of the great movements of the church that have been helpful, what has been the heart of all of them?
2: Repentance.
1: Repentance. Every, every yeah. great
2: movement of the church begins with repentance.
1: And even even when we think of the theological discussions that we've had where we have rooted out false doctrine, it is that banging of heads that has led us to clarify what we teach, preach, and confess. When you think of why do we have the creeds, for example? Why do we have the Augsburg Confession? All of those are ways where false doctrine was uh, confronted and there was a struggle, a, uh, an attempt to wrestle away the gospel from the church. And what happened? The church got stronger. It mm. clarified. The gospel was restored. We can even see that within our own synod, can't we? You know, um, and, and, and I think as Lutheran pastors and, and as Lutherans, we should not be afraid of these discussions because sometimes they're framed as, oh, you guys are just trying to be divisive. You're trying to separate us. No, actually, when we have theological discussions, we're trying to clarify and grow and be informed of God's word, even if it means that I have to change some things the way I've thought because the word of God is true.
3: And I think you know the the lay people and the pastors listening to this, you know, one way, one great history in the Bible that you can read that shows the effect of tentatio is the life of David. David was given a great promise uh, by the prophet Samuel, right? That he would be king, mm-hmm. right? He was anointed by God. Um, the anfecto, the tentatio, the, the temptation and the affliction uh, came very close. As God was with David and supported him, uh, Saul hated him and was jealous of him and actually hunted him uh, for years and years. And if you take the life of David and then you correspond it to the Psalms, that David wrote during this time, or even uh, after David commits a grave sin with Bathsheba. uh, Think of what we sing basically every Sunday, right, in the Mm Offertory, right? Create in me a clean heart, O God. Um, These are the words of David after Nathan has absolved him. Mm -hmm. It says, the Lord has taken away your sin. And so with David, we get this intensely um, personal Uh, this violent struggle of the soul, uh, which is what tentatio is, um, that is actually real manifest for us in the pages of sacred scripture, uh, where the word of God is actually conforming him uh, to itself, and he is being conformed to the image of Christ. Now, take that and then look at David's son, Solomon. Look at the difference in the way that they do theology, right? And part of it is temperament. But, Solomon is never—how do I want to say this? Solomon is a lot more detached than his father. It's like he's not really in it. Um, Think of Ecclesiastes, for example, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's almost like Solomon is a scientist, trying this, trying that. Uh, You read Proverbs. It's very very generic, Uh, very—every situation— you know, it, it fits for any situation.
1: Well, well, in Ecclesiastes, we have a listener who can always correct us. Right. I mean— <laughs> um, he, they, 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 he uses the word under the sun a lot to kind of go by, this is what I and my human eyes observe. This is what it looks like to us. Right.
3: And I don't know. I And maybe—I don't know. I guess when I read Ecclesiastes, I see a guy who's a scientist, and he's like, okay, what's going to make me happy? He tries riches, he tries wisdom, he tries this, he tries that, and none of it works, right? It's almost like uh, reading a report, Mm. you know, Hmm. Um, where with David, you get this very uh, powerful, uh, soul-rending cry to God with a a strong trust and assurance that God will actually deliver him, which is why, I mean— we actually use, I mean, like I said, we use David's Psalms a lot more than we use Ecclesiastes or Proverbs. I think there's a reason for that. And I think the big reason is tentatio, the affliction. Uh, Solomon did not go through the same afflictions that his father did. And I think it affected not only what they wrote under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. but it also affects uh, how uh, they eventually come out Right, I mean, David commits great sins, but he's always quick to repent. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Solomon, who doesn't suffer early in life, who basically has everything handed to him, um, he he falls. He falters
2: at the end. Yeah, he goes to a gradual slide into...
3: Into, you know, and, yeah. and even at the end of his life, when there are rebellions, when Jeroboam goes to Egypt, um, you have these rebellions going on. What does he name his son Rehoboam? He names his son Rehoboam, which means the enlargement of my territory. <laughs> right? It's like <laughs> it's like this vain hope that you know Rehoboam is going to actually continue this on. Right? Um, so there's so there's a problem. Right? There's a that's why like we in America are very skeptical of suffering. We're very skeptical of of any 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 sort of agonizing of the soul. As mm-hmm. if we're, there's something wrong with us if we actually are struggling with these things. But it's actually the best thing for us. It's like a smelting pot. It's where all of the dross is being burned
1: off. And, and really, from an earthly point of view, the, wouldn't you say that uh, some of the—when you talk about the arts, some of the greatest arts actually come out of times of suffering? For mm-hmm. example, who doesn't love uh, good Russian liturgical music, for example—
3: Right. I mean, it's I...
1: beautiful. It's haunting, and you could just like hear <laughs> in the singing the
2: the suffering. You look confused, Bert. Well, i I don't know if I've I don't know if I have any uh, examples of Russian liturgical music in my playlist. So, uh, t- tell me about this. What is that? What is?
1: Well, if you, I, I would say like, uh, uh there is like a composer Chesnikov, who writes some very haunting oh, okay. music. Um you can think of who who is the the one that uh, did a vespers service. Um
3: huh. I, or, okay. or or even like in Russian literature like Dostoevsky. Mm-hmm. Dostoyevsky's Dostoevsky's stuff like mm-hmm. The Brothers Karamazov, uh The Possessed. Um you know all of these all of these works are just they they hit the soul so much harder
2: than even Tolstoy, I would say. Well, I personally like the Song of the Volga Boatman. I think he's got some serious tentatio in his life. I can't re- I can't understand what he's singing, but he sounds like he's pretty. Right. Actually, actually,
1: no. You guys are gonna laugh at me, okay?
2: Do, 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 uh, maybe after song. the
1: show, I can play some a rap songs. in Russian. A rap song that displays tentatio. Okay. I'm game. I'm game awesome. to listen. Yeah. Okay. Nice. So, um, so another example of this is uh, I, I actually have come across this many, many a times in a vicar sermon,
2: mm-hmm.
1: where they where they talk about well, the give you
2: tentatio. Is that?
1: Well, no. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah Is
3: not vicarage itself kind of a tentatio? Right. <laughs> I, for all involved, right? I mean right? Yeah. <laughs> Vicker's quiet. I want to get a call near you. <laughs>
1: um, but uh where where they talk about maybe the struggle of the Christian or the struggle of temptation or sin. And and so they'll they'll give me a sermon and I'll ask, Yeah, what you write here, is this something you've actually gone through yourself? Oh, no, I just assume people go through this and I say, well, you can tell because it doesn't sound real and it doesn't sound genuine and it doesn't sound Mm -hmm. like it's anything you would ever struggle with. And I think as preachers, we know sometimes, right? You know, if if you, you ever read one of your sermons and say, this feels kind of thin or kind of empty or kind of, I don't want to use the word fake, less authentic, because if you're just hammering on things that you yourself haven't seen or struggled with. And, and by the way, it isn't ever something that every Christian would struggle with. Um, it really does then affect your own preaching as well. Mm-hmm. And so when you bring up for the example of David, that's that's the beauty of it is of being in, in uh, a part of the body of Christ is not only is it something that we have to wrestle with ourselves, but when we do, we can make it a blessing Right For others. Others can learn from our own tentatio. Well,
3: and can I add something to what tem- what tentatio ain't? Yeah. Okay. Tentatio ain't a, a replication. You cannot repristinate David's life. Right. You know, you cannot... See, and this was the problem with the pietists, is they would read these things and they would say, okay, well, in order to make sure that I'm, like, really repentant or really getting it... You know, I've got to wash my bed with tears, and I've got to, you know. David is a particular man in a particular situation that God has put him in, and that cannot be replicated. Um, and that's great, because you're not David. But you can be like David in the sense that you actually learn from these afflictions that God sends to you personally. Right. Um, And with the Word of God, this is why, like, uh, honestly, every morning you should— uh, Recite the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, uh, and do maybe one of the meanings of uh, one of those things, and you'll be surprised at how much uh, in your life with that experience. You know, with those words on your in your mind and in your heart, how much that day will actually be relevant to what you just learned. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is. It is quite amazing.
1: Um, and like you said, like we've said all along, with all three of these things, it's not. You coming up with everything, being some sort of enlightened within yourself or emptying yourself in the sense of, you know, meditation. It's
3: really a deeper thought. Yeah. I mean, really, the only thing that's actually coming from you, and this is wrought also by the Holy Spirit, is the prayer. Mm -hmm. The text is something that's done to you. Mm -hmm. It's actually like stamped into your mind. And the tentatio is also something that is done to you. It's something that you experience. Uh, It's something that uh, you go through, Um, like when you're walking down the street or going to your job or uh, the conversations that you have with different people. We don't actually control any of that, Um, but that's done to us. And that's great because this is how God actually forms us.
1: And and part of that then, too, is um, in your theology, you will then, if you're— holding to the Word of God or preaching or teaching it, have some antagonism to that.
3: Because the natural man does not want to hear it. Right. I mean, just look at today. Think of, I think that's part of the reason why everybody is so incredibly outraged at everything. I mean, I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. Yeah. Um, Everybody is outraged and angry and scared and crazy because they cannot control it. They can't control their own life. They can't control COVID. They can't control anything. And that sort of loss of control, um, this sort of, uh, you know, I'm not the captain of my own fate, mm-hmm. uh, it, it rackles people because nobody likes to be helpless. Right. Nobody likes to wait on God, but we want to do it. We want to, you know, um, be the hero of our own story.
1: Yes, and we we want to be, we want to be winners for Christ, not losers for Christ.
3: Right, and you know it's pretty hard when, uh, when you can't control things or force it through, or you know, um, you know, and uh, whether that be like losing your job or not being able to go back to school or um, maybe somebody in your family's gotten sick or maybe you have loved ones in the nursing home that you can't visit, um, all of those things are. It makes you feel helpless. But it's not our business to do stuff. Our business is to trust.
1: It's God's business to do stuff. And I think that I'm just going to skip ahead to what it could be then.
3: Okay. Sorry, I stole your thunder. No, you're fine. (laughs) You're fine.
1: I do these to generate discussion. so. Um, So what it could be.
0: What it could be.
1: I think it is a good way to learn to navigate our current time because um, it, it teaches us to lean on the Word of God at this time and, uh, and to use, and that, that's the beauty. I mean, the whole scripture is, is, uh, is of God, how God uses uh, the awful things that happen for his own good. The very cross, the prime example of it. But um, as we navigate all this going on, is to realize and and to hold to the wisdom in the midst of it and gain an appreciation for the gospel a clarifying thing which we've seen i think in some people you know it's been kind of refining fire where you, you learn okay you know who takes this who's taking this word of god seriously and who isn't
2: mhm
3: well and one thing i would say about this this time period too um if someone disagrees with you on something you should be kind to them okay um there's been a lot of talk about wearing masks or not wearing masks the the efficacy of the mask the non-efficacy of the mask efficacies of lockdowns all this stuff um if you disagree with somebody be kind to them Hmm. right be charitable to them uh don't accuse them of not loving their neighbor um, but actually, uh, you know, talk with them, present your evidence, um, and also respect their Christian liberty.
1: Yeah. Vicar, I have a question for you. So where in the Bible does it say w- whether you should wear masks or not right now?
4: I mean, there's nothing specifically worded in the Bible that says thou shalt wear a mask when you go out. Right. However, we have the fourth commandment, honor your father and mother, Mm -hmm. which, you know, and then Paul later on in Romans talking about, you know, rendering, you know, to the government, you know, he who has, who you are to honor, to honor, to, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, taxes, to pay taxes. Jesus, when he says, give to Caesar, what is Caesar? So if the government says, do this, and it does not go against God's word... And the the reason why
1: I ask is because Christians can actually have an honest debate about these things and still be Christians. Right. And that's where, you know, because what happens is people will take this discussion and they'll say, well, you know, there are people who think, you know, if if you're a true Christian, you wear a mask. There are people who think if you're a true Christian, you don't wear a mask. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you've seen both examples. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that, that is adding, really, when there is the opportunity for good Christian debate and talk about these things, well, at the same time, you know, in, you can have either opinion and still talk about it. Right. And not, you could still be Christian and really think it's important to wear a mask or really important to not wear a mask. Mm-hmm. There's. It's kind of like... Uh, um, Not too long ago, when uh, St. Louis had a seminary, had a big push on—maybe they still do—on environmentalism, okay? And uh, the problem I had with that is, is obviously God tells us we are to take care of his creation. But does he really tell us—is there a good Christian debate on how to do that?
3: Right. I mean, God tells us to take care of of his creation— does that mean the implementation the implementation of windmills? Does that mean uh, ethanol? Does what well, I mean? And I think yeah. all of those things are are up to uh, debate. Right. And- for example, I had a,
1: a, pa- a pastor, a Pastor Burns, who when he was a vicar here was from Montana. Mm-hmm. You know, and and, and there's always a huge huge movement of say saving the wolves and that kind of thing. Well. He he knew, Noah knew a lot of people where a wolf would come in and just take out 50 sheep out of a flock, just not even eat them, just wantedly go through and slaughter them. And you think, well, we got to protect the environment by protecting those wolves. You know, there's debate on those things. Right. And so the same thing as Christians, as we navigate all of this, is to, you know, to say there's honest discussion and there could be honest disagreement among some of these things without it actually being a discussion
3: on... Um. It doesn't have to be acrimonious. It doesn't have to be divisive. I mean, think of the people in the in First Corinthians who their faith was weak, and so they only ate kosher food. What does Paul say to do?
4: Bear right? with the weaker to brother. To bear
3: with the weaker brother, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's what we do. We bear with one another. Uh, we have discussions about these things. We talk about these things. Um... And, you know, if someone's not ready for it, we, you know, we, we ex- accept, you know, my big thing is, is let's not put anybody under slavery again. Yeah. You know, let's not command them to do something that God's Word probably doesn't even command, you know? Let's, uh, let's be open and honest uh, and not uh, ruin somebody's faith.
1: Because, because people, you know?
3: because with the, going back to the masking, people
1: think, well, you know, uh, you're, you could be saving someone else's life by wearing a mask, but then there's also discussion, well, you could be also helping someone in their mental health by not wearing a mask. You know, there's, there's all sorts of ways to skin this cat,
3: right? And so, just be kind to one another. This, this ought not be as divisive as it is among Christians. Um, and so, just love one another actually have open and honest debate about it and see if, like, I don't know, we actually believe that the word works. So if you are convinced in this, actually have the debate and try to persuade them. Mm So, All right. So I think that brings
1: us to the conclusion of this episode. Uh, Thank you for joining us, Bert. Happy to be here, everybody. It's been uh, good. Um, I am Bull Higgin. I'm Bert. I'm Bert. I'm Vicar. And may your gains be natty.
4: Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. On Twitter, at Clerical Heirs P for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Airs. See you next time.